it's, it is, it is daylight savings time and there's a little bit of dragging going on in the room this morning. So I'm going to have to be the most excited version of me. And as I'm speaking, I'd like you to be the most excited version of you also. Can we do that this morning? That would be really helpful to everybody in the room. And I think, uh, with, with Jesus present, there is no reason to be dragging our butts around, is there? Come on. He, he has given us his life. We sang about it this morning, the breath that he released on the cross. We said, it is finished. Father, I commend my spirit into your hands is now flowing in us. And so there, there is life flowing in us, uh, and we ought to be showing it to the rest of the world. How many of you believe that that would be a supernatural testimony if Christians could be the ones so full of energy on daylight savings time that, that we'd show up for work on Monday morning and people would be like, well, how'd you get so much energy? We lost an hour this weekend. Man, Jesus gives me life and let them know that. So praise God. We're, we're going to get into the word this morning. Uh, we started a series last week called Things Are Getting Better. And we made the statement that there is improvement going on in the world because Jesus released the kingdom of God into the earth. And it's been working its way through the whole lump of dough, through the whole world. And uh, one of the things that we looked at last week, we said that part of why New Life Fellowship exists is to help people encounter Jesus. Because when people encounter Jesus, things get better. He is the one that's able to change and to transform our situations. And as I was thinking about this morning, uh, I had this picture, and I feel like it was... It was not my notes, but I felt like it was relevant for where we are. Because we all go through ups and downs. How many of you know when, when you are in a down season of life, it's hard to hear somebody come and tell you it's getting better? There, there's just something about like, oh man, I, I know you're saying that, but look, I see what's going on here. And we get so caught up in those circumstances, and I think the enemy would like us to stay in that place. And, and what came to me this morning is there, there was snow this week. Did anybody else notice that? And it, it got really cold. I, I don't know what happened. I felt bad. Uh, Russ and Sue went away for the whole month of February. It was beautiful. And as soon as they come back from their trip to Florida, it's 20 degrees again. And, and God spoke to me in that moment because I was looking at it and I was like, we could really get in a place where like, God, I wish it was February again. It was so nice back there. Come on, does that sound familiar to any stories in the Bible? Oh, we had it so good in Egypt. It, it was so good back there. And that's, that's what the, the devil would like to glamorize the past. And, and the reality of it is, February is still the middle of winter. Okay, it, it was it was darker for longer hours in February. It, it was winter on the counter. And even if we were fooled or teased a little bit with look at this beautiful weather, God's plan for us is springtime. Summertime is on the horizon. It's going to get better. And where the enemy would like to keep us is romanticizing February. You know, we forget the Februarys with 40 inches of snow because we had 60 degree days this February. But God's plan is not to go back there. God's plan is for us to go forward. And I feel like that's part of the getting better message. Sometimes we, we romanticize the past. Oh, the good old days. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. How many of you know the good old days were not? I, I mean, really, I, we could qualify that with other things. The good old days weren't that great or they weren't that good, whatever. But they weren't the good old days. God is improving things in the world. He's releasing more and more of his glory every day. So last week, uh, we said it's important uh, for our outlook if we believe that things are getting better because what we believe about the future affects how we live right now. The, the things that we expect, the, the way we talk, what we communicate to others, it's important. Uh, we, we defined a new term last week. We said kingdom optimism 
says it's, it's not just optimism for being optimistic. You know, I'm not just hoping and, and, oh, you know, Pastor Chris really wishes things are getting better. Kingdom optimism says things are getting better because Jesus is involved. He did some things that changed the world forever. And if we are negative in how we speak or how we think or what we're expecting, it repels people. It actually pushes them away from where they need to be. Come on. If, if our message as a church is, oh, it's, it's getting so bad, but you can just come and gather with us and, and we'll pray for the world. Come on, that is not the message is Jesus did something that changed the world forever and it continues to impact what's going on today. Our outlook needs to come from the Bible. Any, anything else that we shape our outlook with can't be trusted. We need to stand on the word of God. And we looked last week at some verses that make a biblical case for Jesus wants things to improve, to get better because of what he did on the cross. Uh, a key verse for this series, I'll just read it one more time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? No end. His government and peace continue to increase on the earth. That means there is more of the kingdom today than there was yesterday, or else that verse isn't true. And if there's a question about what's true or not, I'm I'm going with this book, okay? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Not my opinion, not my want to, but his zeal, his promises will accomplish it. And when his kingdom increases, what we're talking about in this series, when his kingdom increases, life prospers. Family prospers, peace and health, righteousness, all those things begin to increase and prosper in the world. So I think right now it's, it's very interesting to me because I look back at quotes from some church fathers and people that lived throughout the years. And I think there were a lot of church fathers that were actually, they were more optimistic than some of the voices I hear in Christianity in the world today. And I, and I just wanted to hit a couple quotes as we're going through this series. Uh, this was a man named Ralph uh, William Ralph Inge, he was an Anglican priest that lived in the 1800s. And he said this, No Christian can be a pessimist, for Christianity is a system of radical optimism. In the Anglican church in the 1800s, here's this guy saying, Man, Christians can't be pessimists because Christianity itself, by definition, is a system of radical optimism. I've, I've had pastors tell me before, you know, they come up to me, Pastor Chris, I thought I was an optimist until I got around you. And, and it's changed my thinking. Uh, it's not, Christianity is not a system of humdrum, average, run-of-the-mill optimism. How about that? It's a system of radical optimism because Jesus defeated every foe that could ever be defeated. He gave us the keys to the kingdom. He gave us victory over the death and the grave and all those things. How could we not be optimistic about the future? How, how would our lives change? If, if our outlook was radically optimistic. Come on, think about this for a second. Process with me where you are in life and what you think about the future and what's happening around you. And some of us are more optimistic than others. It's just where we are in the, in the spectrum of life. And some of us believe, yes, there's a hope in a future. Things are getting better. What if, though, our outlook shifted all the way to where people said, man, you're not just optimistic. You are radically optimistic. How much different would our relationships be, our family, what we believe and what we speak and what we confess? Are, are you starting to grab this with me? There, there is something that our lives should be markedly different than the outlook that people have around us in the world who don't know Jesus. And I, I said it last week. I've met people who don't know Jesus. They're very hopeful about the future. 
And shame on us if someone without Jesus is more optimistic about the future than the people who know Jesus and we have hope. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there is a chance that we will stand before God one day and he will say, you know, you, you just preached me too good. You, you preached me better than I was. You know, you, you, you told people I was more powerful than I really am. Come on, do, does anybody else think there's a danger of that? That you're going to stand before the Almighty one day and he's going he's gonna to be like, man, Sean, I'm so disappointed. That was all those times you testified and shared people about how good I was. I'm not really that good. Come on, he is amazing. He is better. Whatever capacity that you have to, to share with somebody, here is the hope I have because of Jesus. Here is the goodness I've seen because of God. Whatever we have, he's better than that. There, there is no danger of, of you ever getting to a point where God would look at you and say, man, shh, stop, I'm not, I'm not that good. Don't, don't tell people I keep my promises. We should be people of radical optimism. Here's another great quote from, uh, how many of you know who Charles Spurgeon was? Or at least you've heard the name. Uh, anybody know him personally? <laughs> he, he died in 1892, so there's probably, probably no chance of that. But Charles Spurgeon, great theologian of the church, uh, he made this quote. He says, I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. But I expect the same power which turned the world upside down once will still continue to do it. The Holy Ghost would never suffer the imputation to rest upon his holy name that he wasn't able to convert the world. What's he saying there? He's saying Jesus is able to do it. Come on. He, he will never stop in what he's trying to achieve. And, and what is amazing to me in that quote, our reputation is not the one on the line here. Come on, God, God is still God. He can take care of his reputation no matter what I think about it or what's going on in my life. He sees the condition of the world. And he's not baffled by it. He's not nervous about it. He's not biting his fingernails. Oh, come on, do, do we really picture God that way? Like, I didn't think it was going to get this bad when I created those people. He sees what's going on and he knows it and his feathers aren't ruffled. He's still full of power and able to transform people's lives. Christianity is dependent on the finished work of the cross, period. doesn't matter what we see going on around us. doesn't matter what's happening. Jesus settled it forever. Does, does anybody else remember what he did at the cross? Did, did he defeat every foe that could rise up against him? Did he take the keys to death, hell, and the grave? Come on. He did all those things. Christianity is not in danger because Jesus settled it. You know, God, God conquered sin and death. The hell and the grave, all those things, he conquered it. And we're afraid and worried that he can't conquer Islam, that he can't conquer some other political views than we have. Come on, we, we, we're the ones that get all worked up and nervous about these things, and he's not. He, he is at work in the world. And uh, he wants us to join him in that. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the world and not to sit in fear and think, oh, well, it's going to get really bad, but we'll just hang on here. He is at work doing something in the world. And, and today, uh, just what I wanted to hit for a couple minutes is, does, does my outlook really matter? Because maybe you're sitting there thinking that as, as we're going through this series, you know, oh, that's great, Pastor Chris. You want us to be optimistic, but does what I think really matter? Does, does my outlook make a difference? 
Thank you, Eric. Yes. That's that's not a trick question. The answer is yes. Your outlook matters. That's why I'm preaching this series. That's why I'm standing up here saying these things, because your outlook makes a difference. And I just want to hit two points of why I think your outlook matters. Look at your neighbor. Say, my outlook matters. It's, it's not it's not prideful. It's, it's not being uppity or anything. But your outlook on life matters. Look look at your other neighbor and say it like you really mean it this time. My outlook matters. Well, the the, the first reason I think your outlook matters is this uh, because authority matters. And and I'm going to explain that. You can write it down if you want to. You can just stare at it on the screen. That's okay, too. But authority simply means the person in command or the one that has the power to influence thought, opinion, and behavior. So if you have authority, hello, I'm in charge. Yeah, is that what it says up there? Hello, I'm in charge. Anybody ever? Next time you get a name tag at some conference or something, they give you the marker to write that down. Write that on your name tag and see what people say about it. Hello, I'm in charge. Because we have authority. Because Jesus gave it to us. He gave us the authority. And here's, let's read a verse. I think too many people think they, they assume the devil's running things. Have you ever met people like that? Oh, it's so bad the devil's in charge. No, he's not. He, he is not in charge. He, he, he likes to huff and puff like, I'll blow your house down. But he really doesn't have that authority. Here's a verse for you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority did Jesus just say he had? All right, if he has all, and we're we're all familiar with the concept of all, right? If Jesus has all authority, how much is left for anybody else? None. You've been in math class or something. If you have a hundred and you take away a hundred, there's zero left. He has all authority. That leaves zero for the devil or anybody else that would try to push their agenda. He has all authority. And that was the verse right before the Great Commission. He said, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, therefore you go. He's given it to us to carry out his plan and his agenda. Go make disciples, baptize people, teach them to believe everything I've commanded you. Why? Because you've got the power to do it. You guys are in charge. The devil doesn't have the authority. Jesus has it all. And what we do with it matters. If the devil has no authority, how can he carry out his agenda? How does he get anything done if he has no no power, no authority to do it? He looks for people who have authority to come into agreement with his plans. That's the way he gets things done. He doesn't have any authority to produce it in his own, to command people, but he looks for people that do have authority to come into agreement with him. That's why the Bible says to watch your idle words. Watch what's coming. The Bible talks about there's power of life and death in our tongue. Why? Because we carry authority. In fact, there, there's a verse in James uh, chapter 3 that's pretty amazing. It says, if a man is able to keep his tongue in check, he's perfect in all his ways. That, that's an amazing thought because our words have power. So what do I mean by that? The devil has no authority. He's going around looking for people who have authority to say things like, man, this situation's hopeless. Come on. We, sometimes we think we're just talking. And I think the devil hears some of the things we say and says, Aha, that person's got authority. They've, they've got Jesus living in them, and they just declared hopelessness over that situation or that person. Oh, don't bother witnessing to Josh. He'll never get saved. His life will never change. 
come on, I don't know all of the spiritual dynamics, but what do you think happens in those moments when somebody with authority just declares that? That, that situation's hopeless. That person is hopeless. Hollywood is evil. It'll ne- it's, it's incorrigible. It'll never get redeemed. Man, I'm pretty sure there's probably people planting churches in Hollywood and wanting to evangelize and, and be missionaries to, to Hollywood, to California, that would probably really appreciate people with authority not confessing over their city. That place is hopeless and evil. Come on. That, Jesus is Lord over that place. He is Lord over the whole earth. And I believe the people with authority, we need to be more in agreement with what Jesus wants us to be saying than what the devil's looking for us to say. That's a, that's a good point, Pastor Chris. I mean, I mean, take it, even, even the things we say, you know, oh, you know, that's such a bad neighborhood over there. That's, it's unsafe. Lock your doors when you drive through there. Come on, how many times do we say these things and we think they're just idle words? And our words carry power and authority. That's why our outlook matters. Because we have the authority to declare things. James chapter 3 says it this way, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. Everybody say that with me. This should not be. Go ahead, say that. There are things that come out of our mouth that have no business coming out of our mouth. People redeemed by Jesus that carry the authority of the finished work of the cross, the power of the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. There's no reason that stuff needs to come out of our mouth. Our outlook matters because we have authority. Who's in charge? I think Jesus is in charge. And he's, and he's using the church to carry out his will in the earth. Here's another reason that I think our outlook matters, and I want to read a little story that goes with it. Uh, your outlook influences others. And sometimes it even spreads like wildfire. That's the picture up there. Did you ever, did you ever when you were a kid, did you ever light a book of matches on fire? Just, oh, I'm, I'm seeing some hands. It, it's like there's no going back. If, if you've got all those matches clustered together in that little packet, you light one, it's, it's over. Our outlook affects people that way sometimes. It's contagious. It spreads. There, there are things that we say and do and believe that get into the lives of others. You know, I said last week, you know, we can't always trust other people to shape our outlook. It's because we don't know what they've gone through. And sometimes their stuff affects us. Well, it's the other way around also. Our stuff affects others. And we need to be aware of that. Uh, I want to read a little bit from the book of Numbers, uh, the story of the 12 spies. How many of you remember this story? All right, God had just delivered the Israelites from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He miraculously brings them out of Egypt, splits the Red Sea they walk across. He's sending them manna. He's sending them quails. Like all these things, they're seeing supernatural provision. And the whole way along, Moses is declaring to them, God says, I've given you a promised land. We're going to go in and possess it. He's, he's telling them this. He's trying to rally the troops. God has made us promises that we're going to go walk in. You saw supernatural deliverance. You've seen you know, God declaring this whole time you've got promises. And so when they get to the edge of this promised land that, that Moses had been telling them the whole time, that's where we're going. We're going to possess it. God's given it to us. He gets to the edge of the promised land. He says, I want a guy from each tribe. We're going to have 12, 12 volunteers to come and scope out the land so we can make a plan. Maybe, you know, it's, it's okay to make a plan even when you've got a promise from God. He, he, he loves when we're not just aimlessly wandering around. He likes when we have a plan that we're getting ready to execute. 
And so they send in these 12 spies into the land. And they go scope it out. They're seeing the people there. They're seeing the cities. They're seeing the fruit of the land. All these things. And uh, I want to pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, starting at verse 27. The spies came back. They're talking to Moses. And it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. Sounds like they're starting on the right track, right? They're, they're coming back. They're telling Moses, you're right. Man, the, the land is awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. How, how would that sound if we were saying it about our lives? God, you're right. Creation is good. The promises you've made sound awesome. You've made people in your image. I love them. I love people. I love declaring the gospel. You know, the kingdom is expanding and, and the abundant life. I've even seen its fruit. I've tasted some of the fruit. And look, I brought it back with me. But then they give the report. The rest of the report. How many of you know there's always the rest of the story? And so even though they've seen the land, they've tasted some of its fruit, there's a but in verse 28. It says, but the people who live here are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Moses, you're right. The promises of God are great. The land's flowing with milk and honey. You don't know the challenges that are there. Come on, what's that sound like in our lives? And people don't believe like they used to. They don't want to go to church anymore. The the abortionists live in the land there. Come on, whatever it is, we start looking at the stuff going on around us instead of the promise of God. They took prayer out of school. They're letting transgender people use my bathroom. Come on, what, what report are we carrying back when we've got the promise of God and to go in and inherit some, inherit some things? And we come back saying all these things. It's always, it's always the mysterious they, too. They took prayer out of school. They're killing babies. But fill, I don't care what it is. Fill in whatever your issue is that, that you worry or fret about. Come on, Jesus said don't worry about anything, but I recognize that's easy to say, hard to do. We, we all have our issues that we fret about and we worry about, and God sees them all, and he still promised, I've given you the land, go possess it. So they go on uh, with their complaints. In verse 30, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He's, he's telling them, stop, you guys, what you're saying is not good. Caleb silences all the people, and he says this, uh, We should go up. And take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Come on, they got at least one guy that's full of faith and optimism. God promised us this. We should be doing it. We're able to because he's with us. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And have you ever felt like that in your own life? I just, this situation won't change. They, they've got a hold on. They, I'm boxed in. God, you know, it's hopeless. Sometimes we feel like that. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, two men out of the 12 spies, had their outlook shaped by God. Ten guys had their outlook shaped by what they saw in the land. Took their eyes off of God, started to look at what was going on around them in the world, and that's what shaped their outlook. Which group are we going to be in? Because our outlook matters. Are we going to have our outlook shaped by the promises of God and the goodness that we believe He's capable of, Are we going to have our outlook shaped by what we see going on in the world around us? 
In verse 32, I said our outlook matters because we influence others. It says in verse 32, these, these ten guys that had their outlook shaped by what they saw on the land, it says they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Come on, they just got done telling Moses, you're right, it's flowing with milk and honey, it's great, it's all this. But they were so jaded and so looking at what was going on in the land that they came back and told the rest of the people, says the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They began to tell everyone else why they couldn't do it. Come on, have we ever been around people like that? That's not going to work because of this. We tried that before, and this is what happened. All these things, these negative reports, they began to focus on the reasons why they couldn't do it instead of the promises God gave them to do it. If the church doesn't have hope for the future, where is it going to come from? Come on, of everybody in the world that should have hope to impart to people, it should be us. And if all I can talk about is what's wrong with the world, then I am the problem. Come on. You, you can fill your own name in that blank, but I'm, I'm preaching about me right now. If all I can talk about are the things that are bad and what's going on and the reasons we can't do it, there's what's wrong with the world, this is why it will never change. If all I can talk about are those things, then I am the problem. Because I've said it before and I will continue to say it over the years, if there's ever a problem in the equation where God's on one side and I'm on the other, the problem is not on his side. Okay, his, his promises are true. He never changes. He's faithful. He's eternal. If there is a problem, it is on my side. And if, if I'm like one of the ten spies coming back and telling people, this is why we can't do it. Hey, I know the Bible promised all these great things and Jesus is able to transform lives, but here's why we can't make it happen. Then I'm the problem and I need to adjust my outlook. If you don't want to say amen, you can say ouch. It's, it's okay at New Life. Sometimes we, we step on our own toes. But we can't have that kind of report coming out of our mouth because it affects the people around us. And watch the impact it has. They, they spread this bad report to all the people. And in the next chapter, verse 1, it says, That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled. So everybody say all. So, so it wasn't just, hey, the, the ten guys with the bad report affected a couple other guys or their neighbors. It spread through the whole community until every one of the Israelites began to grumble. And they grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Come on, talk about your outlook affecting people. If you're sharing something that makes someone else say, oh, it's so bad, if only I had died back then. Come on. Hope and optimism should be the voice of the church. And if we ever get to a place where our talking makes people give up hope and say, oh, we might as well just die then, then we need to be fixed. That sounds kind of weird. Like maybe like you get fixed like a dog where you don't get to reproduce that report anymore. I don't know what it, what it looks like. Something needs to be adjusted in us if that's the fruit of our confession. That people would say, I'd rather die than go forward in God and do what he's asked us to do and given us the authority to do. Not only, we can talk others out of possessing what God has promised them. That, that would be a terrible thing to have happen. Man, 
saying, Mike, I know God gave you these great promises, but buddy, here's why it's not going to happen for you. Come on, I think some of us have probably heard conversations like that come our way. And I know that those promises must be for somebody else, but you're not, you're not going to get to see it because of this, this, and this. Oh, I guess it would be better if I would have just died in Egypt. Died in the desert. Is God able or isn't he? Not only do we miss out, but we can cause others to miss out also, depending on our outlook about the future. The, the Israelites lost a whole generation of people, missed out on entering into the promised land. If you, re, if you read the rest of the story, you know what happens. God says, well, that's it. Because of your bad confession, this whole generation, you're just going to wander around in the wilderness until everybody 20 years or older passes away. And then I'll let the next generation go in because maybe they'll trust me and take me at my word. You know what? We don't have to lose a whole generation. We, if, we're, if we're speaking and believing negatively about what's going on in the world around us and what's going to happen in the future, we run the risk of losing a generation, but we don't have to. We don't have to lose because Jesus defeated everybody that could ever rise up against us, and we're with him. Come on. He's, it's like little kids picking baseball teams at recess. Jesus is always, he should be the first one picked. Like, that's the team I want to be on. Whichever side Jesus is on, I want to be with him because he wins every time. I don't, I don't care what analogy you want to use. It, it's, I've heard people talk about the, the poker analogies. Like, you get dealt your cards, and, and you got nothing that matches, but Jesus is on your side. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm all in. I, I can bet it all. It doesn't matter because I know we're going to win. I don't care what's in my hand. I don't care what I've got in the hole or what I'm going to draw. Jesus is with me, so I win. We, we should trust Him that much and let Him shape our outlook. So, so today, as, as we go from this place for, for some takeaways for you, for some practical things, uh, we said it last week, I want us to continue to look for reports that are showing God's kingdom expanding right now. Like, I, I wanted to, to get to showing some data this week, but God shifted the plan this weekend, and, and I felt like he wanted to go another direction to tell us our outlook matters. But next week, we're going to see Christianity is exploding around the globe. There, there are places where revival is happening that, that we don't see covered in the mainstream news, but people are getting saved and, and meeting Jesus like crazy. Look for stories that show God's kingdom expanding right now. Let's, let's keep fasting for Lent. We're going to keep fasting negativity and complaining. How are you guys doing on that one? If, if, you, if you fell off the horse this week, get back up on it. Say, Lord, I'm not going to begin to speak negatively. I'm not going to complain about circumstances and the culture around me. Let's keep fasting that. And then I want us to evaluate our outlook. I would like you to take some time with Jesus this week and really ask him, Lord, what have I been believing? What have I been speaking? And how has it affected others? And if, if, there, if there are things, because he will, he will do this. He will meet with you, and he will show you if there's been a place where, man, you, you said some things or acted in a certain way that, that you've negatively affected others, I believe he'll give us opportunities to go back and fix it. To go back and, and, and to tell somebody, you know what? God's really much better than I was believing in that circumstance. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't deliver a good report about the Lord there. What, however you want to say it or make it happen, I believe he'll give us opportunities for that. And next week, We'll get into a little bit more about what's been going on in the world around us. Has the kingdom really been expanding? Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. The, the first step 
on the journey to things are getting better is to actually start a relationship with Jesus. If, if you've never done that before, that you know, all these things we're talking about, hope for the future and, and, and things are getting better and there's optimism for what's going on, it starts, that first step starts with meeting Jesus and saying, hey, I believe that you are the Son of God, that God raised you from the dead and I'd love to give you my life and have you come live with me. It, it really is as simple, Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if I, I know most of the people in the room this morning, but I don't know everybody. So if you've never done that, uh, I'd like you to come up after we dismiss this morning and pray with somebody at the front. Come talk to me, and we can introduce you to Jesus. That's part of what we're about here at New Life Fellowship is making sure people encounter him and meet him. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now. And we thank you for the victory that Jesus won on the cross. Through his his life, death, and resurrection, you proved, you demonstrated that you are the victor of all things for all time. You defeated every foe that could rise up against us, even death, hell, and the grave. God, we just declare you are awesome. We, We give you honor and glory. No one else could do that. We certainly couldn't do it in our own strength. Only you could. And thank you. Thank you, thank you for including us in that victory. For taking your life that you so willingly laid down and giving it to us so that we could represent you to the world, so that we could take the life that you lived and begin to live it in front of others. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing, even now through your church, through the very the body of Christ representing you to the world. Continue to establish things in this earth. Continue to move through our lives. Continue to let the report that we carry be one that is honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, as we leave this place this morning, I just ask that you would encourage each person in this room, that you would remind us later today, later this week, in in the Monday through Saturday grind, that you would remind us that you are with us that you are able, that you love the people around us. (laughs) Even if we have a hard time doing it sometimes, Lord, remind us that you love the people around us and you want them to know you. God, bless your people indeed. Let your goodness and your mercy follow after us. Let the favor of your presence be on everything that we put our hands to so that you would be honored and glorified. We just ask this now in Jesus' name.